0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Podfident Cast. My name is Adam, and today I'm going to be presenting the leftist case for Hillary Clinton. Yeah, Hillary Clinton, that that Hillary Clinton. Democratic nominee for President of the United States. Now, just to be clear on this, when I say the case for her, I mean the case for voting for Hillary Clinton, not... um, you know, the case that, you know, leftists should support her policies or her ideology or and anything like that. Um, that's obviously not what I'm going for. Um, what I'm saying is we can on the left disagree with Hillary Clinton all we want. We should, if you're on the left, you kind of disagree with her by definition, but that does not mean that you don't have a responsibility to vote for her. Um, and I know that that probably sounds terrible and you're probably screaming, um, at your uh, computer screen or or your phone right now, however you're listening to this. But um, allow me to sort of present this argument, um, and uh, ho- hopefully by the end, you'll if you're not swayed by it, you, you at least um, respect the position of people on the left or the far left uh, saying that you should vote for Hillary Clinton. Um, the 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 core of the argument is that. Um, uh, w- what it means to vote the act of voting is defined by the specific political structures in which the act of voting takes place and in America there are very specific moral obligations that are placed on the act of voting by the political structures which um, don't e- necessarily exist in other countries and in this particular case in the general election for the United States president um, the moral responsibilities for the left to vote for Hillary Clinton um, I'll get into that in a second a uh, couple. Things at the beginning here first um i'm assuming uh just for ease of analysis that the american left is a largely homogenous voting group which is largely distinct from mainstream center left uh liberals or progressives um I, i i say liberals with that tone of voice not because i um you know have some sort of hatred for liberals but uh because i have a specific hatred for that that term um it's 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 not it's not a good term um liberal tech technically means something else in politics and um philosophy of politics so uh, that uh yeah that, that I mean I'm I'm sure I'm not the only one who who's bugged by that Um, another note, um, I'm going to be mixing, uh, some terminology here from analytic philosophy and, uh, continental Marxist philosophy. Um, however, this is podfinant caste and podfinant caste really digs that sort of idiosyncrasy. So that, that's not a problem. Um, I'm not really concerned with this account fitting nicely into any particular philosophy, uh, philosophical tradition school, um, or even sort of mainstream school of thought and leftist politics. This, this is my own personal uh, reason for voting for Hillary Clinton, and um, you know, take take it or leave it. Um, uh, one other note: um, this is this is interesting. If, if you're um if you're a uh, if you're a right wing p- person lis- listening to this, uh, m- maybe stay tuned because uh, uh, the this argument um, applies more or less directly if you're someone on the right who, um, views Donald Trump or the potential of a Donald Trump presidency as incredibly damaging, but is not sold on the idea of Hillary Clinton, right? So if you're, um, if you're, a dump Trump, if you're a never Trump type person, um, and you can't see yourself voting for him, you see that it would be absolutely disastrous for America, uh, for, uh, Donald Trump to be elected president, but you really don't like Hillary Clinton. I really don't like Hillary Clinton either, uh, but I'm still going to vote for her. And I think that, um, this argument will apply. It generalizes quite easily to uh, to people on the right who don't like Donald Trump, because I think that's something that everyone right or left uh, can agree with is as long as you're not, you know, just a hardcore fascist or a white supremacist or um, uh, ethno nationalist or whatever. You, uh, you you can get on board with the idea that a Donald Trump presidency would be incredibly damaging Uh So let me just start out with my background here. Um, I'm a former Bernie supporter, and up until a couple days ago, I was unsure about who I was going to vote for. Um, It was really going between Hillary Clinton and Jill Stein. Um, I identify more as Marxian than anything else, um, and I'm influenced a lot politically by um, structural Marxists, um, and Altusser particularly, uh, although I um, certainly don't agree with him or them on everything. Um, If you want to know exactly what I agree and disagree with uh, pertaining to structural Marxists, uh, I'm going to be starting a a series of podcasts here um, as I work through uh, the new um, unabridged version of Reading Capital. So yeah, check that out if you're uh, curious about that, I guess. Yeah, okay, back back to this. Additionally, um, I'm not a huge fan of a lot of trends uh, that are going on in the current left, especially... um, uh, things like the emphasis on prefigurative politics. Um, I think that we can't hope to change the, uh, the structures of capitalism if we're not concerned with creating new political structures. Um, uh, the de- de-emphasis of economics, um, that's something that you see a lot on the left that, um, views a lot of, uh, social issues as not be having a systemic, um, uh, root in, in capitalism. Um. And uh, also the tendency uh, for anti-capitalist contempt for medicine as an industry to manifest itself as contempt for medicine as a science. Now, obviously, there are tons of problems with the um, medicine industry, right? But that uh, just because you have contempt for that um, doesn't mean that you can also have contempt for medical science, which uh, um, uh, is a problem that a lot of people on the left... Um, uh, sort of throw the baby out with the bathwater on this. Uh, let's see what else. Uh, I don't agree with Bernie on all the issues. Um, but he was by far the best candidate, uh, from my lifetime and his brand of old school socialism would have been a tremendous improvement, um, in American politics and, and a great step in the right direction. Um, uh, I consider myself to be um, left of Bernie, and, and I kind of use um, Bernie Sanders as sort of my demarcation line when, I, when I'm talking about the left, and specifically in this instance. So if, if you're Bernie or left, that's who I consider to be on the left. If you are um, right of Bernie Sanders, I don't consider you to be in the left. You just fit very much into sort of the center-left um, liberal mainstream. Uh, Now, my decision to vote for Hillary, again, as opposed to um, the options, uh, if we're going to talk about all the options here, Trump, Jill Stein, Gary Johnson, or I guess you could write someone in, write Bernie in, or Epstein, um, uh, it's the result of a good deal of reflection on just the general nature of voting and what the specific act of voting in an American general presidential election means. So. Uh, start out before I actually get into my argument here. I'm going to talk a little bit about the candidates and talk about um, uh, the Democratic Party uh, specifically. Um, some of the uh, speeches that were given at the DNC. All right, so uh, let's let's talk about the candidates. Um, uh, first, uh, there's Donald Trump, the nominee for the Republican Party. Uh, now, um, not I don't have a lot to say about Trump. Uh, There are, you see articles from time to time floating around the internet with people who are like, oh, I used to be a Bernie supporter and now I'm gonna support Trump. Um, Okay, that's great. For a leftist to support Trump, you have to be, one, ambivalent to the human cost that this would entail which is sometimes labeled as nihilism. That's not that's not nihilism, that ambivalence is something different, if, if we want to get technical about it. Um, and uh, not only do you have to be ambivalent to the human cost, um, you also just have to be an idiot um, in thinking that uh, somehow a very tiny and disorganized American left would be able to benefit from um, the, the chaos that would be created by... Um, a Trump uh, presidency or or the social antagonisms that, that would be created by a Trump presidency the American left is not in a good position to benefit from that um, which uh, is it, it's it's a delusion to think that somehow um, a Trump presidency would bring the revolution quicker or anything like that um, that that's just not uh, realistic um, or uh, on the other hand uh, you can be just an idiot um, and think that somehow that Trump is closer ideologically to Bernie, uh than than uh, Hillary Clinton is, which is just utter nonsense. Um obviously there's a huge gulf between Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders in terms of uh politics, um, ideology, all of that. But uh she is definitely closer to him than Donald Trump is. All right. Um before I continue, I should actually probably briefly talk about I'm gonna use the term human cost a lot and talk about what the human cost of a Trump presidency would be. Um when I say that, uh, what, what am I referring to? Uh, well, broad-stroking it, I'm referring to um, the human cost of America black, uh, backsliding into fascism. Um, I am a very firm believer that Donald Trump is just is straight-up fascist. And um, I know for whatever... Well, okay. So a lot of people on the left um, like to sort of... Um, they're not Trump sympathizers necessarily, but they try to... Um, soften the blows of more mainstream progressives against Trump and, and they see a lot of their attacks as being disingenuous that I think that comes from a fact that a lot of Trump supporters and this is I, this is completely true a lot of Trump supporters have um, genuine concerns genuine fears and um, uh, genuine problems with the economy that has a capitalist economy that has really mistreated them That's all completely legitimate However, uh, that does that that doesn't mean that attacks against um, Trump from the uh, from the Democrats and from the the, the center and the center left um, are are somehow um, illegitimate. And um, there, there's there's a lot of uh, um, people on the left who tend to not be as fatalist about Trump as uh, as uh, people in you know the center left. Um, this, I, th- I think this is a tremendous mistake, uh, because, um, not only is, does Trump have the, the politics of, of fascism, um, but if you look at some of the specific policies, um, uh, it would be unlikely that he would be able to deport 11, 12 million, um, undocumented immigrants. However, um, as the head of the executive branch, he could sure as hell try. And that, um, even if he'd is unable to get um, get the majority of uh, undocumented immigrants simply, you know, from a logistical standpoint. Um, that think of the the human damage that would do. Uh, think of the human damage of uh, Trump economic policy or um, the the human da- uh, his it, it, social policies and anything. Um, what we're talking about here is a tremendous human cost and the fact that there is also a significant human cost to Hillary's brand of neoliberalism does not mitigate the fact that Trump would be worse. And I'm going to come back to this a lot, that um, fascism is objectively worse than neoliberalism. Uh, And I know that on the left, our target generally tends to be neoliberalism, but we, and that's, that's completely legitimate. I do that all, you know, that's, that's sort of my general target when, when I'm, complaining about society or whatever um but we cannot let that blind us to the fact that there are far worse political systems out there than neoliberalism it is not good it is terribly repressive exploitative um all of that but fascism is objectively worse and if you cannot see that if if, if you're sitting here and listening oh uh, actually i don't think that that, that that there's there's probably nothing that i can say to you All right. Anyway, that was more time than I wanted to spend on Donald Trump. Moving on. Um, Gary Johnson. He's the libertarian nominee. Um, He's the uh, um, most popular third party candidate. Uh, I agree with about half of everything that Gary Johnson says. I think a lot of people, when they listen to Gary Johnson, you know, when he talks about social stuff, you're like, ah, yeah, right on. And then he talks about economic stuff and, you know, he loses you completely. Um, He he, he has a really far right laissez-faire capitalism. Uh, and because of that, it is a complete deal-breaker. I mean, I, I haven't heard of anyone on the left, actually, considering to um, support Kerry Johnson. Uh, again, simply, simply because he, he is so far right on economic issues. Um, Hillary Clinton. Uh, Hillary Clinton, the Democratic nominee for president, she's just a classic centrist neoliberal. Um, I'll talk about her more in a bit when I talk about her DNC speech. But, uh, yeah, she fits very nicely into a um, political box. She represents the present. She represents um, the present uh, state apparatuses, structures, um, ideologies, all of that. Um, And, uh, yeah, as such, it's it's very easy to categorize her. Uh, Jill Stein is the uh, Green Party uh, nominee. Or, actually, I think she's the presumptive nominee at this point. I don't think the Greens have actually had their convention. Um, uh, she's not perfect either. Um, some of her views on GMOs, on uh, alternative medicine, are highly scientific and dangerous. Um, they're, they're straight up dangerous. Uh, I know she has uh, skirted the question of whether or not she supports homeopathic medicine. Um, uh, however, she is the Green Candidate, and this is taken directly from the Green Candidate's uh, platform on their, on their website. Okay, so this is, this is on a section about healthcare. Greens support a wide range of healthcare services, not just traditional medicine, which too often emphasizes the medical arms race that relies on high-tech intervention, surgical techniques, and costly pharmaceuticals. Chronic conditions are often best cured, uh, my emphasis, uh, by alternative medicine. We support the teaching, funding, and practice of holistic health approaches, as appropriate, the use of complementary and alternative therapies, such as herbal medicines, homeopathy. Homeo—I I have such a hard time. Homeopathic medicine, uh, uh, nature, naturopathy. I don't know what that is. Uh, traditional Chinese medicine and other healing approaches. Okay, um, if you—if somehow you're not aware of this. Um, the belief in these incredibly pseudoscientific, quote unquote alternative medicines is very dangerous because um, they the the treatments uh, can vary between doing nothing and doing active harm um, in terms of a lot of uh, herbal stuff which is not regulated. Um, but they're especially dangerous when you get people who uh, take them in lieu of actual real legitimate fact-based medical treatment. Um, and as such, uh, you know, um, her, her views on this, I, I say borderline dangerous, uh, because she, um, she's a doctor, believe it or not. And it, uh, appears that she doesn't buy into this stuff like a lot of the green party does. Um, but she's also doing a very classic politician, uh, move where she's positioning herself in such a way that she can appeal to people who do believe it even though she doesn't believe it herself which is you know a classic um move you you get it a lot on the right where you know clearly um uh you know most right-wing politicians don't believe the same pseudoscientific stuff that their base does but they have to position themselves in such a way that you know they can uh, have plausible deniability um this emerged most recently, actually, in the past couple days with uh, the discussion over whether or not she's anti-vaccine. I do not think that Jill Stein is anti-vaccine. Um, it's It seems quite unlikely, based, based on what she said, that she's anti-vaccine. Um, but uh, what she's doing is positioning herself in such a way that she can appeal to anti-vaccineers, anti-vaxxers, uh, without actually being anti-vaccine herself. Um, which is, again dangerous uh it's not uh dangerous in the same sense that uh, it would be if she was out there saying hey don't vaccinate your children or hey you know uh don't get cancer treatment or something um but uh it, it is borderline dangerous in that if uh if she's not um you know into the pseudoscience herself um she's enabling the people who are which um i think uh the, the biggest impact of this uh should be that um she is very much a politician um Bernie Sanders also very much a politician. A lot of Bernie uh, supporters um, missed that he's a very good politician. He's a very accomplished politician. He's had a very long successful political career. Jill Stein is also a politician, guys. Um, you uh, you you really can't ignore that. Um, and when she does this this sort of you know politician. Um, you know, positioning, uh, not giving straight answers on these uh, sort of things. And when I say not getting straight answers, I'm especially talking about the um, homeopathic medicine and stuff, which, again, is in the platform of the Green Party. I believe it was, a, it was a Reddit AMA. She was asked on that and, you know, didn't give a, a straight answer, which, you know, would be tough considering that, you know, she, you know, to be correct, you have to directly contradict the platform of your own party. Um, but yeah, so um, all that, all that being said, um, uh, policy wise, especially um, economics, um, I definitely agree with Jill Stein more than I do with, uh, with anyone else. Um, not the science stuff, though. I need, need to make that clear. Okay, so let's talk a little bit more about the Democratic Party and uh, specifically um, the uh, the convention that just happened last week. Uh, now, I sat down and I watched lots of speeches, um, which admittedly is not the best way to sort of um, gauge uh, someone's uh, ideology. Um, but it's, it's better than, than you might expect. Um, so I, I sat down, I watched all this, the speeches, and th- these are some of my, uh, my, my, my thoughts on them. So uh, first, uh, Bernie Sanders, uh, he talked about how the, uh, the struggle and the political revolution continues. Um, talked about the elections, about the needs of the American people. He called attention to uh, social, economic issues, wealth inequality, that sort of thing. He, he, he really played all the greatest hits. Um, uh, Bernie is famous and or notorious for not changing his speeches up very much based on the platform, based on the context. Um, uh, he, he really delivers the same message, uh, which um, uh, you, you you may like that, uh, you, you may hate that, but he definitely did it here. Uh he painted a clear distinction between the human cost of Democrats' uh, centrist uh, neoliberal economics and the Republicans' supply-side economics. And this is something that I found uh, quite interesting and that really um, differentiated him from the uh, the other speakers, is that um, the other speakers kind of framed Donald Trump as being an anomaly, as, um, you know, being distinct from general Republican policies, uh, general Republican politics, and... Um, Bernie Sanders was not interested in doing that because he understands that, uh, you know, um, a Mitt Romney president uh, would maybe not be as damaging as Donald Trump, but uh, would still be incredibly damaging. Um, and uh, and from that, we can um, we, we, we can understand this argument. Uh, I, I'm talking specifically about, you know, Clinton uh, versus Trump. But uh, this argument would generalize to Clinton versus Romney or anything like that. A- anyone who's um, who's proposing, you know, far right, trickle down type stuff, um, in addition to, um, you know, just being on the complete wrong side of history as far as social issues go. Uh, right. What else did he say? Um, uh, he said, we've come a long way in the last seven and a half years, but there's much, much uh, more that needs to be done. I think we can all agree on that. Um, he is clearly thinking in terms of the two party system. I'm going to come back. this again later but i just need to stress right now that all you bernie supporters out there bernie sanders has zero interest in jill stein in third parties and you abstaining or certainly you writing him in um uh this is going to come into play more later but i just gonna emphasize that right now his entire speech was framing uh it's trump versus clinton and um i think there's a very good legitimate reason that he's doing that um uh elizabeth warren um uh she also began by framing it as a binary choice Uh, this is going to be a theme uh throughout the uh democratic national convention here um uh she said that america is truly a country of opportunity uh but she's worried that opportunity is slipping away for those that work hard and play by the rules which uh if you've been paying attention to american politics sounds very much like a uh, like a centrist or a right-wing thing this is another theme about the uh the democratic national convention there were a lot of um uh, sort of like Reagan esque, uh, shining city on the hill, best days of America are ahead of her. Um, all of those things uh, that are um, typically associated with the sort of conservative optimism um, have been co opted by uh, the Democrats. Um, it's probably, you know, a cynical political move more than anything else. Um, I don't think it reflects a real shift in policy or ideology as much as that reflects a great way uh, to try to um, bait certain Republicans who uh, do not like Trump, who are not comfortable with Trump. Um, because uh, the, the, the Trump, uh, the, the, the Trump uh, Republican National Convention was anything but uh, um, Reagan-esque uh, optimistic politics. So I think they're, uh, they're using that. To, um, to, to really uh, widen uh, the, the appeal as much as they can. Uh, what else? Uh, she said Washington works uh, great for those at the top, which um, I, I think is a good point and probably the most left-wing thing she said. Um, she's very partisan, uh, talking about how Democrats do this, Democrats do that, Democrats are the party of dot, 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 dot. Um, and uh, just generally, um, she's uh, very much a run-of-the-mill, center-left liberal. In a lot of the stuff she said. She had lots of sick burns on Trump, which uh, she's particularly good at. She also had a lot of hecklers. Um, I think she had the most hecklers of any of the speeches I've watched. Um, uh, She uh, talked about the the dangers of um, Trump pitting factions against one another. And uh, then at the end, she said uh, that Hillary is going to fight the big banks, fight trade deals, and overturn Citizens United, which are... um, Uh, very, uh, very, very um, dubious claims at best, Um, probably more accurately described as uh, disingenuous uh, claims. Um, It's not clear to me if she if she actually believes this. But um, again, this this idea that Hillary's going to fight the big banks in any meaningful way is is nonsense that she's going to fight trade deals. Well, she's been consistently um, for trade deals and especially overturned Citizens United. Um, We'll talk about more. Uh, about that more in a second when I talk about uh, Hillary's speech. But clearly that's not going to happen. Now, Michelle Obama, um, she uh, didn't have a lot of ideological content in her speech. It was really good. I really liked it. She, she gives a great speech. Um, but uh, there wasn't a lot of, uh, you know, stuff for the purposes of this discussion. However, she did say that this right now is the greatest country on Earth. A lot of greatest country on Earth. America is the best sort of stuff. Which, again, is very... Uh, is very centrist and actually borrowing a lot from um, past Republican rhetoric. Uh, Barack Obama uh, said he's more optimistic about the future of America than ever before. Uh, He said, uh, what we heard in Cleveland wasn't particularly Republican, and it sure wasn't conservative. Now, um, this obviously uh, uh, puts him in the camp of, you know, trying to appeal to as many Republicans as possible and saying, you know what, Republicans, you know, uh, four years from now we can go back to our regular divisions, but Trump is not sure as heck not a Republican. You know he's bad, we know he's bad. Just vote for us and then we can go back to being Republicans and uh, Democrats in, uh, in 2020. Um, Bernie Sanders clearly doesn't think like that. Um, Bernie Sanders' criticisms of uh, Trump were generally as uh, Trump qua Republican. Um, however... Uh, that's clearly not the way that Barack Obama is thinking about it, which is again, a much more centrist, uh, view to take that, um, that, uh, Trump is somehow, uh, an anomaly and isn't related to core Republicanism. Um, he had some anti-TPP hecklers, uh, not a ton, um, also, uh, framed the election as a binary choice. Um, (laughs) then there's some really, uh, there's some really questionable stuff, uh, talking about the American military. He said, uh, "The light of dignity." He referred to it as the light of dignity, freedom, and human rights. Now, um, that uh, that that is a really, really iffy claim. Um, if you look at uh, the actual um, reality of what the American military does abroad, what the American military has done under um, under uh, Obama, and you know. Um, when I say American military, I'm obviously like, you know, including the CIA drone program. I know CIA isn't technically military, but what they do is very much military. Um, so, uh, yeah, it is uh, <laughs> given the amount of damage, uh, I mean, especially post World War Two. Right. So if you look post World War Two, what the American military has done, the vast majority of that has been uh, damaging, has been destructive. Um, has been anything but uh, the light of dignity, freedom, and especially human rights. I mean, this idea that America, the American military is somehow this great protector of human rights is, you know, absolutely nonsense. And I think we, uh, you know, we really need to draw attention to the fact that Obama is not this great left-wing guy. I remember in 2008 when he was running, um, a lot of commentators on the right, and they still say this, but especially in 2008, they were talking about, oh, how Obama is such a left-wing, you know, Marxist, socialist, communist guy, and... uh, you know, if we vote for him, it's going to be, you know, socialism and all this stuff. That, that, that would have been sweet. Uh, but clearly Obama isn't a quarter as left as people on the right uh, maintain that he is. And, um, yeah, yeah. Some other, some other stuff on that. Uh, um, talk about how America is already great. America is already strong. Um, uh, took a very neoliberal stance on the police. I can't exactly remember what he said. Um, very optimistic. Oh, and then, uh, finally, uh, he, he had an anecdote about a small business owner who, uh, refused to lay off, um, some workers during the recession and instead cut his own salary because laying off these workers would not have been in the spirit of America. Okay. Well, um, it may not have been in the spirit of his idea of America. And, you know, we, People have these weird, weird ideas about what America actually is. But it most certainly would have been in the spirit of the reality of America, because America is a capitalist country, which is based on capitalist structures, capitalist ideas, uh, capitalist logic. And, um, you know, if if we're applying capitalist logic to this situation, uh, if it would have... if it, uh, you know, would have hurt his bottom line to to keep these people on, which which that's that's sort of the uh, the implication, because he, he wasn't able to draw as much salary, and we can think about the small business owner, his salary and his profit are basically the same thing. Um, it hurt his bottom line to uh, to uh, keep these workers on. Therefore, just by definition, it's not in the spirit of the reality of America and American economics and American political structures. Um, to uh to to keep them on right um clearly you know obama is projecting this this very optimistic centrist idea of oh you know america's you know w- wonderful and um and and lovely and uh you know we, we um uh you know corporations and um you know the, the, those evil people are, are somehow not in the spirit of america i know that that is very much the reality of america um finally he gives a really good speech what, whatever criticism of the guy you may have obama gives a killer speech And finally, Hillary Clinton, um, by far the longest one, uh, um, first, uh, she said to Bernie, uh, you've put economic and social justice issues front and center where they belong, which is just strikes me as a really odd way to put it because if they, if economic and social justice issues belong at the forefront of the political discussion, uh, then why weren't they there in the first place or specifically why didn't she put them there, right? I, I thought that was weird, um, to Bernie Sanders, your cause is our cause, um, I mean, in in a strict sense, in in the the idea that I'm going to be arguing it, maybe it is. But in, in a broad sense, as in you know, Hillary Clinton wants the same things and wants the same America as Bernie supporters. That's obvious. That's obviously not true, right? Um, it was very America dreamy, like so much American dream in it. Um, she really didn't emphasize the historic nature of her nomination as much as you might expect. That that was probably a political choice. Um, but I was kind of struck, you know, she, she could have said a lot more on it, and she didn't. Um, now, back to Citizens United, uh, she said she wants to pass a constitutional amendment if necessary to, over, uh, to end Citizens United, um, which would probably be the only way to do it because, you know, you need the Supreme Court to, like, go against precedent and very recent precedent for it to overturn it, um, uh, and the the other option, obviously, is to pass a constitutional amendment. Um, this is incredibly hard to believe for the reason that no one stands to benefit more from the Citizens United decision than Hillary Clinton, um, because, uh, Donald Trump is having a lot of trouble uh, fundraising, getting the big donor support that uh, Republicans have previously been able to get. Hillary Clinton is not. And her campaign right now is benefiting far more from Citizens United, from Super PAC's um, unlimited uh, contributions to them, than uh, anyone else's, especially than Donald Trump or the Republican Party is benefiting from them. So this idea that that somehow Hillary Clinton would um, work to pass a constitutional amendment which is extremely hard let let me remind you passing a constitutional amendment is not easy at all this idea that she would fight tirelessly against something from which she benefits substantially is uh that that's 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 silly at at this point we're being silly that that that, that's a great um that's a great rally point or something but clearly that's that's not going to happen. That's not a reasonable expectation for a number of reasons. Um, she said she believes in science. That's great. Uh, she had some tough talk on corporate profits. Um, again, that that's one of those things where uh, you know it plays well to the base. But um, uh, given her past, given her politics, given her relationship with uh, the upper class, I that there, there's no reason to expect that to be a um, a, um, a genuine uh, concern of hers. Talk about the right to health care, right to living wage, no to unfair trade deals, which again, um, that, that'd be great if, uh, if suddenly, um, she changed her mind on trade, um, we'll, we'll see, we'll see, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm cautiously, uh, skeptical on that one, she, ha- I just have Trump slam as one of these bullet points, um, I guess she had a great slam on Trump, uh, she said she wants to liberate people who have student debt, I can dig that, uh, and, um, uh, that is one of those things where it still fits very well within her politics, so I, I can I can see that actually happening, right? You don't have to fundamentally transform the structures of uh, American society and American economics um, in order to um, allow people to <laughs> refinance their student debt, right? She put an emphasis on trade schools. That's a really popular talking point for everyone who's ever run for president, ever, uh some other uh uncomfortable stuff uh said we must keep supporting israel's security that was met with a lot of understandable backlash because that's generally understood to be um uh code for we need to continue to oppress the palestinians she talked about surging our intelligence in the fight against isis uh which again uh surging our intelligence uh tends to be code for um increasing mass surveillance uh so that's that, that that's great um She uh, talked about our military being a national treasure, and just in general, really conflated uh, supporting troops and uh, supporting the military, uh, which is generally something you see on the right, and it's also a centrist thing, where they don't differentiate between supporting the individuals in the military who have... A lot of them have been put through hell and obviously have a right to health care and treatment um, and being taken care of for that versus supporting the actions of the military. Um, In her entire military section here towards the end, um, she did a very good job of weaving those two together, which tends to be a a right wing tactic, actually, um, to... uh, um, to decry people who uh don't support military action and uh the actions that the the military has taken um to be uh people who uh, don't support the individual troops and um that those are those are clearly two completely different things um and it it really bothers me that uh that she uh that that, that she's going that route um uh another uh, great bird on trump she said a man you can bait with a tweet is not a man you can trust with nuclear weapons um, and finally, uh, I've got another oof here. Uh, she said, America is great because America is good, which is a, um, a favorite, um, actually apocryphal, uh, quote, um, that the Republicans like using a lot. Centrist as well. But, um, I associate that quote and that idea and that sentiment with, um, right-wingers far more than I do center or certainly left, um, even though I guess you could take that to mean whatever you want. All right, so uh, general thoughts on this. Um, Hillary is very centrist. Uh, because I'm gonna be about to be advancing an argument of why the left needs to vote for her, I think I just need to get it out of the way where these are all the criticism. I mean, even if you look at her speech, not even looking at her record, not looking what she's done or said or supported in the past, but just looking at this speech, um, she is not a leftist, she's not even close to that and um, politically, ideologically, um, policy-wise, the left should not be supporting her, but that's different That's different than voting for her, right? Supporting Hillary Clinton and voting for Hillary Clinton need to be viewed as two different things. Um, other thoughts, Obama is also very centrist. Uh, some reason uh, we tend to think of Obama as being to the left of Hillary, and I guess he is um, slightly less hawkish than she is, uh, but uh, that's the only substantive difference I can think of offhand. Um, and especially the sort of rhetoric he uses is there, there's nothing left about it. Um, additionally, uh, what really confuses me in general and specifically watching her speech is why do people think of Elizabeth Warren as being left? I mean, she's slightly left uh, in terms of um, her views on Wall Street. But the idea that, um, that uh, you know, um, I don't want to use the word common sense regulations, but modest regulations, the idea that Wall Street needs to have some sort of modest regulations on them uh, and the financial um, uh, financial services, uh, financial industry in general, uh, needs to have moderate regulations on them to prevent them from crashing the global economy every so often, is not a particularly left-wing idea. A left-wing idea would be to dismantle them or to completely restructure uh, what uh, financial uh, industry looks like, or, or maybe just even abolish it um, completely. Uh, that's left-wing. <laughs> um, uh, The uh, significant uh, redistribution of wealth uh, that is contained in that industry is left wing. The idea that we need to regulate them so that they don't destroy um, uh, the global economy is neoliberal, okay? uh, also uh, thought, uh, Bernie is clearly ideologically distinct from the rest of these guys. Uh, the, the way he talks, the, the emphasis that he puts on certain points, um, the, the rhetoric that he uses is, is very much um, in line with his uh, democratic socialism. And you can tell even just by watching these speeches back to back that he's thinking about these in different terms. Um, now... The big takeaway from this is that everyone framed the election as a binary choice. Uh, this isn't surprising for Hillary Clinton or Barack Obama or Elizabeth Warren to a lesser extent to frame it as a choice between Trump and Hillary. But the big takeaway from this needs to be that this is the way that Bernie's thinking about it, and um, uh, Bernie has absolutely no interest in Jill Stein in supporting her in her run in her bid for president. Um, and you know, even if you like listen up to jill stein talk about bernie it's basically like yeah you know uh, he uh, hasn't returned my tweets or uh, you know my phone calls or whatever and uh, um i I, re- I really want him to uh, to be the the green candidate but uh he doesn't uh, he yeah he, he hasn't got back to me yet we'll we'll see uh, we'll see what he says um the, uh, bernie supporters specifically and just people on the left in general really uh, need to take that to heart and, and really need to let that sink in. And I'm going to be talking about some of the reasons and the implications of that. Um, but just just generally, if you're considering voting for Jill Stein, that should really give you a pause and at least uh, make you want to consider why that is and why he thinks that you should vote for Hillary Clinton. Um, uh, now, uh, the bigger question is not why. Um, oh, well, actually, the bigger question is the bigger question is. Uh, why is everyone framing this as a binary choice? Um, is it a reflection of political reality? Is, is that actually what the choice is? Is the choice really um, just between Trump and Clinton and you know, a vote uh, for third parties, you know, vote, vote for the other depending on what voting block you're in? Um, or is it just an ideological construction by the Democratic Party uh, to um, help them maintain power and ma- maintain control? Um, the really depressing answer to this is that uh, for the purposes of deciding who to vote for in America uh, in a general presidential election, an ideological construction is a political reality. Um, you may not like that. I certainly don't like that. Um, but that's just the way it is. And By the end of this uh, discussion, by the end of my argument, um, I-, I hope that it should be clear why that's the case. Now um now I'm going to actually sort of get into um my argument here my understanding of uh why the left should the left as a collective voting unit um should vote for Hillary Clinton um with you know the context of uh, uh, who she is uh, what she stands for what the Democratic Party is um all of that in mind um uh now um j- just just thinking about this generally um if our responsibility was to simply vote for the person that best represented our views um i'd probably vote for jill stein right um i don't agree with her on the medicine stuff or maybe i do i I don't agree with her positioning um on a lot of you know medicine and um science stuff uh but overall I'd, i'd vote i think i agree with her more than i do with hillary clinton um However, uh, in America specifically, I don't think our primary responsibility is to vote for the candidate uh, that we most agree with or think would be the best president or so forth. Um, and, uh, you know, that, that that may that may come as a shock or that that may be hard to digest. Um, but in order for me to explain why I don't think we should just be voting for the person that represents us the best or that we get the highest score on and, you know, a who should you vote for online quiz, um, what I need to do is uh, relativize the concept of voting to specific political structures. Now, what, what, what does that mean? What, what does it mean to rel- relativize the concept of voting to a specific political structure? Well, what it means is that we need to think about voting differently, depending on the political system in which the act of voting is taking place. Um, And uh, namely, this means that the nature of voting is not constant across different political systems, uh, but it's determined by the material reality of the political structures in which a particular act of voting is embedded. So um, the... If, if you look at like in the United States versus Finland, which I'll be talking about more in a second, um, the act of voting, what it means to vote, and specifically the responsibilities that are entailed by a voter or by a collective voting unit um, uh, vary significantly between the United States and Finland and the responsibilities that are thrust upon a voter or voters by a political system in uh, differ. So in Finland, the responsibilities... Uh, of a voter are different than the ones in america just based on uh the differences in the significant differences in in the political systems um and, and in order to understand this and understand specifically what i mean by you know the responsibility or the moral obligation of a uh, of, of a voter or of, of uh, voting unit um, we need to uh, we uh, we need to make a, an assumption here, and I'm going to assume that the collective moral obligation of any given voting block is to minimize the human cost and maximize the human benefit of their decision, um, which is yeah admittedly a very utilitarian, rough and ready approach to the moral demands placed on a voter. Um, but I think for our purposes, it's it's sufficient. And specifically, you know, when I'm talking about the choices between uh, the choice between Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton. Um, neither of these are good options both of them will have significant human costs Donald Trump and all the things I've already enumerated and Hillary Clinton and Justin maintaining capitalism neoliberalism all of that um just has significant uh human cost to it as well which we can observe every day uh so what I'm going to be talking about is minimizing the human cost um now now given this assumption uh why do we need to relativize the, the concept of voting? Well, um, that, that's because the relationship between voter behavior—you you can define some sort of principle of voter action, right? So the uh, the, the, the principle that uh, voters use to decide who you're going to vote for—the relationship between that and uh, the moral obligation to minimize human cost varies significantly between different political systems. So um, put put another way, the the principle of voting action uh that minimizes uh the human cost will be different in different political structures in finland uh that's going to be a lot different than it is in america and in america um there are a lot of um additional demands that are placed on you by the two-party system and the and the minuscule size of the american left so just to kind of understand this um Uh, For those of you uh, who aren't uh, Finnish, um, I'm going to talk about this briefly. Uh, For those of you who are Finnish, uh, moi. um, uh, Let's see, uh, kitos for uh, joining us. Um, (laughs) My my Finnish isn't super good. Uh, So, um, uh, Finland has a parliamentary system, and it has a very atomized parliamentary system. Um, They don't have a uh, majority party. Um, like you do in like the parliamentary system in the uk, um, they have lots of minority parties um, and just to uh, just to uh, put this put some numbers on this, uh, there are 200 seats in the Finnish Parliament. Um, the leading party, which is the centre party has 49 uh, the the second party, which is the Finns party has uh, 38. Um, I'm pretty sure the finns is a is a right wing party actually I'm not sure about that. Um, the, uh, and then the third party has 37, the fourth, 34, 15, 12, so on. So, um, the, the, um, party with a plurality of seats in the Finnish parliament has just under one quarter of the seats. Well, what does this mean with all of these different political parties, um, that all have varying degrees of representation? Well, that means that it is much easier for you to find a party, uh, that, um, that uh, represents your views, uh, but it also means that uh, voting for one party or one particular block going for one party uh, isn't automatically handing it to the other party because um, for anything to get, I I actually don't know how their power venture system works super well, but the assumption here is that for anything to get done, these parties need to work together, right? The the center party uh, does not have anything close to majority, so they can't just push through legislation. uh yeah we'll we'll have um we'll, we'll have some uh, if this is wrong we'll have a follow-up episode episode on how i got the finnish parliament wrong uh but for you know let's just assume that this is sort of like at you know finnish parliament prime um in which you know this is true it, it illustrates the point right so um you don't have to worry about you know um, if you're voting for a center left versus a left wing party that that's going to throw it for the conservative party or vice versa. Um, so you you can really uh, vote for who represents you best, um, and you can get a very good representation of the um, ideological uh, makeup of the country uh, because of all of these different um, parties and because of the atomization of the of the political system. Um, so ag- again, uh, broad stroking it. Uh, in, in Finland um, you don't you're not gonna risk putting um, the right-wing party in power by voting for the our left or wing instead of the center wing or something like that, that that's just not um, the case uh, in America however uh, that is uh, very very different um, not only because uh, we have an electoral college which um, you know uh, the the winner of uh, each state um, you know gets uh, gets um, it, well in the vast majority of states, I think there's, like, two that, that don't give it winner-take-all. But the vast majority of states, if uh, whoever wins the state gets all of the um, electoral votes uh, from that state. So, you know, you could have, like, a, a state that, you know, um, goes, like, you know, like, uh, 40... Uh, wait, uh, they could go, like, uh, 40, 30, 30. Um, and the person who gets 40 gets all of them, the people who get 30 got neither, if, if you have, like, a three-way vote. Um, so uh it, it really is winner take all and um your vote for um if, if you're not voting for one of the main, main parties um there is a real sense in which you're you know taking away votes from that the, the, the american political structure places uh, specific demands on you that, that don't exist in like a parliamentary system in a place like finland um because in america uh voting is embedded in a center right to party system and i and i can't stress this enough We don't like the two-party system. Nobody likes the two-party system, but that is the political reality. Um, American politics is terrible, but it is the system in which we find ourselves, and we cannot simply ignore the moral demands it places on us because we don't like it. So let's consider um, uh, two competing principles of voter action. On the one hand, there is voter action where you can uh, say, I'm going to vote for whomever represents me the best, uh, which would be... Uh, Jill Stein. Um, the, the other principle, um, it could be, uh, I'm going to vote, you know, the uh, lesser of two evils for the major parties. One of those principles minimizes human cost much more than the other. And specifically, the decision to go with the lesser evil of, two, of the two main parties uh, minimizes human cost in a way that going for a small third party that has no chance of winning uh whatever do when you vote in america the material conditions of our political system the two-party system living a center-right country all of that determine the moral obligation of the voters and for the left in america in a presidential election this generally means choosing a candidate that will maintain the capitalist present but are marginally better on certain key issues um generally social issues not as um At least, you know, not on the side of, uh, you know, laissez-faire capitalism or supply-side economics or anything like that. Now, unfortunately, the American left does not seem to be thinking of voting in a particularly good way or a particularly leftist way. Because when you're thinking about voting in America in this specific election as, um, as primarily being choosing who represents you the best... Uh, what you're doing is ignoring the political realities that exist in America and the fact that the left is far too small for that to do anything but take away votes from Hillary Clinton. Now, I can think of, uh, there, uh, there, there may be some of you out there who object to this line of reasoning uh, quite significantly. So I'm going to talk a little bit more about this and hope to flesh out the idea a bit more because I may not have explained that in the best way. Uh, but first... I'm going to consider an objection here, which I think lots of people, including Jill Stein, would levy. And that is, uh, won't voting for someone other than Clinton, and in this case, implied, wouldn't voting for Jill Stein change this? Wouldn't voting for Jill Stein break up the two-party structure, um, allow America to have a much more representative politics, um, uh, all of that? A- allow us to you know, not having to uh, uh, keep voting for lesser evil? No. No, it wouldn't voting for jill stein will not change any of that and uh frankly i don't know what will change that that's a very difficult question um and i, I i'm not going to try to get into that now but it should be immediately clear that voting for jill stein or abstaining will not change american politics any more than voting for ross perot did it or ralph nader did it and those guys Uh, got far more support than Jill Stein did. She's polling very, very, very low. Um, There's this myth out there that protest voting changes things and I need to stress that protest voting changes nothing. If you look back in recent American political history, there have been protest votes before and they don't change anything. They may make you feel better But um, politics is not about making you feel good. It is not making you feel comfortable about the person you're casting your vote for. It is about minimizing the human cost of your decision. And minimizing the human cost of your decision in America for the left generally means voting for someone you can't stand. Leaders who can only offer you a protest vote are not offering you anything simply because protest votes don't do shit. Now... Uh, Why is this in the specific case of Jill Stein? Well, that's because the American left is far too small and far too disorganized for someone like Jill Stein to be viable. Um, And accordingly, the potential human cost of voting for her is far greater than the potential human cost of voting for Hillary Clinton. And this is because... Uh, if if the left, uh, former Bernie supporters, various other left people, go hard for her or hard for anyone else but Hillary Clinton, that would likely put Trump in the White House. If they go hard for Hillary, that will likely put her in the White House. And because of that, the human cost of voting for Jill Stein is far greater. It's not going to change American politics. Well. Okay, let me back up. Voting for Jill Stein will not change American politics in the way you want it to. It will change American politics in the sense that it will likely put Donald Trump in the White House and uh, issue in a golden age of American fascism. So, if that's the sort of change that you want, voting third party, then by all means, go for it. But you may not like voting for Hillary Clinton, you may not be able to stomach voting for Hillary Clinton, but that is the necessary thing you need to do and the moral responsibility of everyone on the left in order to minimize the human cost of this. Now, now before I continue, it should probably be very clear that I'm not one of those leftists who's ambivalent to the human cost of revolution or ambivalent to the human cost of pr- uh, pushing forward the uh, the, the, the cause. Right. There's lots of those leftists out there. And obviously, this account is not going to um, apply to you very well because you're thinking, oh, yeah, well, I'm, I'm completely ambivalent to the to the human cost. Um, and besides the other arguments that, um, you know, even if you are ambivalent to the human cost, the American left is not in a position to successfully you know revolutionize anything right now. Um Uh, There's the point that, in my mind, being leftist is about um, maximizing the human benefit and minimizing the human cost and doing the best thing for people. It's hard for me to understand why. I mean, you can make a grand utilitarian argument where you say that, you know, short term, there's a lot of human cost but long term you know eventually we'll we'll get it sorted out and i don't think that has a lot of legitimacy because you're assuming an awful lot and specifically you're assuming that the you know um it, that that the you know revolution or whatever is ultimately going to be successful um you don't know that but you do know the immediate human cost of it so being ambivalent to that is um is is something that i i frankly can't stomach uh, if if you can, great. Vote vote for Jill Stein and uh, let let the shit show cometh. But um, for for those of you who believe that voting um, and political action in general is about minimizing the human cost, uh, then you then th- then you really need to pay attention to this argument. Now, the, the big thing, the big question I'm trying to answer here, is Trump v. Clinton a false choice? Third-party people, uh, especially, you know, Stein people, uh, really like to talk about this as, you know, it's a false choice. Um, I'm here to tell you it's not. It it is not a false choice because Clinton v. Stein is the same exact question as Clinton v. Trump. On the left, a vote for Stein is a vote for Trump. Full stop. Um, If you don't like that choice, the proper response is to get involved and do your part to change American politics. Now, if you were watching the Democratic National Convention, you saw the tremendous response that Bernie Sanders got from the floor of the convention. The Democratic grassroots are very open to Democratic Socialism right now. And if that's your brand of left or if you or maybe you're further than that, but you see that as being a great first step and a necessary uh Attainable goal in American politics, then maybe joining the uh, the Democrats and pulling them away from the center um, is a good move for you. Maybe not. I don't know. But whatever, uh, whatever you see um, your role being in politics, um, it should be clear that simply voting third party isn't going to do shit for the American left. In short, I don't exactly know the best way to go about changing American politics and uh, changing the the terrible binary choice that has been thrust upon us. However, Jill Stein's claim that the left supporting her candidacy will in any way change our current political realities is nothing more than a self-congratulatory myth. The American left is just too small for this to happen, and I know it's easy when you're in it to think about it as being much more significant and much more impactful than it is. it is. It isn't. I'm here to tell you it isn't. It's something that should be. It's something that we want it to be, and it's something that you should actively work to build, but that doesn't change the current realities that the American left is simply not relevant in mainstream American politics right now. And changing that, breaking up the two-party system, is a good and admirable goal. But we need to stop pretending that the left-going third party will in any way contribute to this. Voting for Jill Stein will not build the American left, it will not catapult it to mainstream status, and it will not pull the Democrats left. And it certainly won't get Jill Stein elected president. However, it will contribute to a Trump presidency. That we can know. Additionally, and this is something that should really give you pause if you're still considering going for Jill Stein, uh, she seems either unaware or ambivalent herself to the significant differences between Trump and Clinton, and unfortunately unwilling to address the significant human cause that would result from a Trump presidency. Uh, for example, this is Jill Stein talking in a recent uh, Intercept interview. Um, she, she was asked, uh, okay. So this is the question from the interviewer. Um, is the prospect of a Trump presidency equal in your view to that of a Clinton one? Uh, Jill Stein said, I think they both lead to the same place. The lesser evil, the Democrats certainly have better public relations campaign. They have better spin. The dangers are less evident, but they're catastrophic as well. Just look at the policies under Obama on climate change. She was asked, come November, is there a worst case scenario? No, no. The two-party system is the worst case scenario. In my view, the worst horror of all is a political system that tells us we have to choose between two lethal options, and that's what we have to fight, and we shouldn't be manipulated into thinking it's one or the other of these villains out there. One or the other evil. And at this point I'm not sure if she actually believes it, I'm not sure if it's just political positioning, but Jill Stein, for whatever reason, is unwilling to admit that there are real non-trivial differences between uh, Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton in terms of what uh, America would look like under their presidency. Broad stroking it, it's the difference between fascism and neoliberalism. And one of those is objectively worse than the other. Fascism is simply worse than neoliberalism. It doesn't matter how bad neoliberalism is. It doesn't matter all the problems that it has at the left um, is always fixated on. Uh, because fascism is simply undeniably worse. And because she's not willing to admit this or to draw this distinction or to give any credibility to the idea that Hillary Clinton would still be better, uh, it's really hard to take seriously that she's the candidate for the greater good. Because her her target is the two-party par- system, right? Which, again, the two-party system is not good. But at the same time, you, you can't just say that The two-party system is the evil, is the one thing that we have to fear, because there are just significant differences between two-party Trump system and two-party Clinton system. Now, her logic, and therefore her entire candidacy, are contingent upon the claims that one, a Trump presidency wouldn't be significantly different than a Clinton presidency, and two, disaffected Bernie supporters and various other leftists voting for her would somehow break up America's binary party politics. Neither of these are true, and because neither of these are true, or even reasonable claims to make, it is impossible to take her seriously. And- and- the more I've thought about it and the more research I've done, not only into her, but just thinking through the logic of American politics um, and, you know, specifically voting and, and the moral responsibilities on voting. Um, she's under the impression that uh, that um, Trump presidency, uh, Clinton presidency, uh, there's not a lot of difference there. That's flat out false. She's also under the impression that somehow getting enough Bernie supporters and left uh Supporters from a very small pool of American leftists is going to change any of that. And there's no reason to think that. There, I, I, I cannot stress this enough. She is polling far lower than previous protest candidates who did absolutely shit to change the American third party, uh, the, the American two-party system. If voting for Ross Perot or voting for Ralph Nader didn't change American politics... Or uh, specifically didn't change the uh, two-party system, then um, certainly voting for Jill Stein isn't going to change it. Until she can give a uh, coherent explanation for why somehow a minuscule American left going for her would change anything other than putting Trump in the White House, um, it's impossible to take her candidacy or her logic seriously. The desire to change the dire state of the American political system is not an excuse to ignore the realities and responsibilities it thrusts upon us. We are not willing participants in the two-party system, but we are participants nonetheless, and the fact that we disdain it does not mitigate the moral obligations that it places on us as voters in America no one understands this better than bernie Sanders. again he has no interest in jill stein in the same intercept uh article let me um let let, let me pull the exact response uh he uh jill stein was asked have you spoken with bernie sanders she responded no i've tried he's not been interested never returned a phone call or answered an email it's pretty clear where he stands Yes, it is pretty clear where Bernie Sanders stands. And if you came into this as a Bernie Sanders supporter, if you were drawn in to American politics or mainstream American politics because of Bernie Sanders, you have to understand that Bernie Sanders has no interest in Jill Stein. Um, and that should give you significant pause. Now, the, the reason, or at least the, the reason that it seems to me that he has no interest in Jill Stein is because he understands the same thing. He understands that America has a two-party system and that, that places certain responsibilities and re- obligations on the voter that otherwise wouldn't exist and that those responsibilities <clears throat> mean that you have to vote for someone you may not necessarily like and you have to vote for someone who uh you wouldn't like the outcome of their presidency because the outcome of their presidency will have a lower human cost than the other guy bernie sanders is doing everything that he can to change the system uh pushing uh democratic party left uh, continuing his independent status in the senate um he pulled hillary uh, clinton way left on college tuition and debt um which is all very admirable. But he did that all at the same time by recognizing his respo- the responsibilities that the system places on all of us and placed on him respo- uh, placed on him uh, specifically. And that would be he supported Hillary's candidacy. Now, uh, clearly, um, and he, he will not hesitate to say this, uh, Bernie Sanders has a lot of disagreements with Hillary Clinton, just as we all on the left, if you're on the left, by definition, you have a boatload of disagreements with Hillary Clinton on specific policy points and general ideological ones as well. Um, However, that doesn't mean that uh, voting for Jill Stein is going to change all that. And it certainly doesn't mean that Donald Trump would not be far worse in terms of the human cost entailed by his presidency. America's two-party system as terrible as it is places real and significant constraints on voter choice a vote for jill stein won't change that writing in bernie sanders won't change that abstaining certainly won't change that and because of these non-trivial differences between trump and clinton the left has no choice but to vote clinton albeit begrudgingly in protest, kicking and screaming all the way if for no other reason than to prevent the human cost which a Trump presidency would entail. To sum all this up and a couple main points, a Trump presidency would be far worse than a Hillary Clinton presidency. Fascism is objectively far worse than neoliberalism. In America, we live in a two-party, we live under a two-party political structure. The Ameri- and the American left is far too small to make a serious dent going it alone. However, it is uh, significant enough that if enough people ignore Hillary Clinton and go third party or just stay home, that that could swing it uh, for Donald Trump. This is a very close election right now. Um, It's hard to imagine this or even believe this, but it is a very tight race right now. And the left just collectively deciding to stay home, to vote third party, whatever, could very easily throw this entire thing for Trump. And because of that, the obvious choice, if your goal in voting is to minimize the human cost of our collective action as voters of the left, then you have to go Hillary Clinton. You don't have to support her, you don't have to agree with her, but you have to vote for her if you want to minimize the human cost of American politics. That doesn't mean that you can't constantly criticize her. That doesn't mean that you can't constantly criticize uh, the American political system and do everything you can to break it up, but do not fool yourselves into thinking that voting for Jill Stein will break up the two-party system or even put cracks in it. It's far too entrenched for something as insignificant and meaningless as a protest vote to change. And if you understand the significant differences between Republicans and Democrats, the significant differences between Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton, the moral obligation is clear. You have to vote Hillary. Now, if you want to tell me all the reasons I'm wrong, the uh, the finer theoretical points that I botched, anything like that, please tweet at me at A underscore M underscore Bricker. The Twitter handle that's super easy to say Uh, email me at podfinent cast at gmail.com yeah Um, and uh, let me know why you disagree Uh, if I get uh, good uh, disagreements good arguments I will definitely make a follow-up to this especially because I don't think I uh, describe this in the uh, most concise way or the most precise way Uh, So yeah, as always, uh, thank you for uh, listening and hope you enjoyed.